Hello, I'm Mary Spicer, and thank you for joining me for this episode of Behind Fashion. In this unprecedented time, the fashion industry, like so many industries, is in distress. Around the world, we are gathering to demand racial and social justice. No industry is exempt, and the hard work must continue. I created this series so that we could support one another as we move forward in this new fashion world. Over the next few weeks, I'm going to introduce you to some of the top people in fashion, producers, directors, designers, models, and so many more. With a virus that discourages the interaction of people and the touching of clothing, what does the future hold for the fashion industry and how are our roles changing? I look forward to collaborating and sharing our ideas and journeys as we move forward in this new world together. Today, it is my great pleasure to introduce all of you to Christina Nault. Christina Nault attended the Fashion Institute of Technology in New York City, where she started her fashion career at the Men's Fashion Association and rose to the position of fashion director. After leaving MFA, Christina started working as a consultant, producing television segments, fashion shows, and events for companies like Cotton Inc., NFL, The View, The Today Show, the Anti-Defamation League, and the Swim Association, as well as some like jockey, Christina, and I found a, a picture from a jockey ad, and I think you did an, you did an event where this was, um, I think this was the inspiration for your event. It was, yes. I just love the dog. Yeah. But I, I just want everybody to remember jockey and when they had the fire. <laughs> Everybody remembers that ad and um, to do a, an event based on that is just so brilliant. And um, in 1998, Christina began her association with 7th on 6th, New York Fashion Week, operated by the Council of Fashion Designers of America, known as CFDA, becoming an integral part of the team that brought New York Fashion Week and many of the country's best designers under one roof at Bryant Park. Not one to slow down, in 2002, Ms. Nault joined IMG, which had purchased 7th on 6th New York Fashion Week from CFDA, and was tasked with launching a centralized fashion week in both LA and Miami. In 2009, Ms. Nault became the executive producer of IMG Fashion and Mercedes-Benz Fashion Week, charged with leading the move of Fashion Week from Bryant Park to Lincoln Center. This included overseeing all aspects of production, from construction to the physical complex, negotiating the agreements with the vendors, the mayor's office, the parks department, and NYCHA, which is the New York City Housing um, Association, and overseeing the execution of over 250 designer runway shows each year. The executive producer of Fashion Week Christina represented North America, which included New York, LA, and Miami Fashion Weeks. She was also consulted on Mexico City, Mumbai, Seoul, and Toronto's Fashion Weeks. In 2013, Ms. Nault left IMG Worldwide and became a consultant for companies such as Style Fashion Week as the global fashion consultant, New Wave Swim and the Swim Association of Florida, Pier 59 Studios, and Gen Art. Christina also produces individual fashion shows for designers such as Bipu Mohapatra, Carmen Mark Balvo, Christian Cowan, the China Collective, Dolce & Gabbana, Expo Peru, Harahuku Kids by Gwen Stefani, JD.com, John Paul Attaker, Kenneth Cole, Mansur Gavriel, Moschino, 
Mutan Kadeh, Pandora Jewelry at Coachella with Tracy Reese and Nanette Lepore, Dion Lee, and Zoe Jordan. And I do have a picture. Coachella is so interesting to me, Christina, that at a music festival, there is a fashion portion that, that is really starting to become a big thing. And you had this fashion show at the Parker Hotel during Coachella. Exactly. Yeah, with Nanette and Wit and um, Tracy Reese. And yeah, so there is something about festival dressing. But it, that's fantastic because it is kind of like a runway. It's, it's I think um, Bill Cunningham would have really enjoyed seeing it. What's, what's he definitely happening? would have enjoyed being there for sure. <laughs> what's happening? What are these kids wearing? <laughs> <laughs> he always loved that. Mm -hmm. Oh, but I'm not done. You have also appeared in media such as Boston Magazine, California Apparel News, TheFashionList.com, Fashion Magazine, Fashion Network, Fashion United. Fashion Week Daily, if it has the word fashion in its title, I'm pretty sure you are in it. And so I stopped looking anything fashion. <laughs> <laughs> Forbes, Guest of a Guest, The Impression, New York Times, Post Gazette, SwimWeekCalendar.com, Wall Street Journal, and Women's Wear Daily. You also have an IMDB page because you've appeared in Project Runway and the movie The Tense. And if, if anybody has, has missed The Tense as a movie, I think it's very interesting to see behind the scenes of um, Fashion Week. Uh, Christina has also been on various panels such as the Event Leadership Institute's Maverick Series, the International Special Events Society, and GenR. And one of my favorite interesting things about you is she has rung the NASDAQ bell three times. Once with Carmen Mark Balvo. Once with Carolina Herrera. And for anybody on the podcast, I'm showing pictures of her at the NASDAQ with all of these people a third time with Pier 59 Studios and New York Fashion Week designers. Welcome, Christina, and thank you for joining me for this episode of Behind Fashion. Thank you. Yeah, you know, I can't give you an A for research. I and I do, because this is our opportunity to let everyone know it wasn't, oh, I like a dress and some makeup, so I got into fashion. This is, there is a lot that goes into it. You're highly skilled. Many of the people at Fashion Week are highly skilled unless they're interning or something. So it's not just um, a simple thing. It really is a big to do. And you know, I invited you on because you're an amazing person. You're a mover and a shaker. Um, and I just, I really loved learning even more about you and getting in there. And so, um, and that you rang the NASDAQ bell. Did, did you get the mug I sent to you? I did. Let's cheers your NASDAQ bell ringing. Cheers. <laughs> and Thank all you. of your accomplishments and many, many more years. Thank you. I mean, honestly, to go through it though is so important because we hear some of these things and um, it just doesn't quite hit until you start going down the list. And just so everybody knows, that's abridged. That is shortened. <laughs> I'm exhausted just thinking about it. <laughs> exhausted thinking about it too. Um, before we start talking about all things fashion, I do want to check in with you and your family. There is a pandemic, COVID-19. How is everyone doing? Everyone's doing everything. Everyone's fine. My family's fine. We're all either here in New York State or in Connecticut. You know, we, we, we had the first three epicenter, three months of the being the epicenter, but we seem to be a little free and clear right now. We're doing better than the rest of the country, which yeah. is unfortunate, but I'm in upstate New York, um, enjoying 
enjoying the outdoors and the animals and the trees after being three months in Queens. Oh, yeah. And that, that, that's pretty, that's pretty scary. I mean, you guys, you got it first, you yes. got it the hardest. Um, it, it really was something, it, it's something indescribable, I think. Yeah, it, it was, it was definitely indescribable. We lost a few people that we know in fashion, a few people, a few of the photographers um, we lost from, to COVID. Um, you know, so I think we'll learn more about all that after, when it's all over, when we can actually celebrate their lives. Yes, exactly. Well, I, I did start um, talking about you in your bio that you started your career at the Men's Fashion Association, MFA, um, as the fashion director. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? I don't really know anything about men's fashion. Um, well, I, you know, let me just backtrack a bit. I did, I, I basically started it as an intern there. Oh. And several years later became, you know, just moved up the ranks. But the Men's Fashion Association was a, a not-for-profit organization that promoted menswear in America. Um, but this is, you're talking about the 90s, and we basically promoted menswear to consumer newspapers. But back then, every... Every city, every town had a newspaper if they didn't have two or three, and every newspaper had a fashion director, a men's director, a women's director. So we really were feeding them stories um, for menswear in America. You know, as time went on and we started going a little bit more digital, those newspapers started going away. Mm. So it was really, um, so the organi organization got smaller and smaller. So we kind of had to pivot to the next thing, or I should say in my career, I had to pivot to the next thing. Oh, yeah. Well, next you started consulting, right? With companies producing events, television segments, fashion shows. So how do you make the jump to that? So, you know, I mean, I, I was even in my mid to late 20s. It was a little scary. You know, all of a sudden I was unemployed, but you know, it was an, it was a membership organization. We had like 250, 300 members and I was pretty close to a lot of them and a lot of them were big companies and they started hiring me to do events, to do um, press kits and things like that for them. And that's how I started working with Jockey because they were one of our members. Um, I started doing some PR and events for smaller public relations companies and they were all members of the organization. So um, it just kind of brought me to the next freelancing, you know, maybe five or six years of my life. Right. And it was actually a lot of fun. So I'm sorry, when you were at Men's Fashion Association, were you doing um, like fashion shows and things then and then you just continued with them outside of that association? Sure. So the organization itself did what they called press previews, which were three-day events. And they did them in April and October, which is when it, the, everything went into the stores. Mm -hmm. So that's why we, we targeted the newspapers because they could write about it. And it was about the clothing that was available in the stores at that time. Right. So we would do fashion shows, um, parties. We would do like actual physical press kits in different areas, you know, like all, you know, where we'd actually send out black and white photos to the newspapers and they would pick them up in their in their newspapers wow yeah that, yeah it was like olden days <laughs> that's a heck of a start there was no such thing as digital then <laughs> no no there was not in uh 1998 you started your association 
with 7th on 6th CFDA um, at Bryant Park. And what was your position when you started with them? I was a venue manager. Um, so basically there would be three or four different tents that did 20-ish shows in them throughout the seven days. So I managed the 20 some odd shows that were only in that venue. And normally I was the venue that wasn't attached to Bryan Park. So or wasn't an actual physical barring park. So I did always did the Altman building or um, when we did, we had an event, when we had a t um, another venue at Celeste Bartos, which is in the New York Pub Public Library, just adjacent, because I had more of a technical background. So I managed all the lighting and scenery and sound as well for those offsite venues. And I did the, the tents as well. Yeah. And, and then, I went back on board with them full time. So do you think that that technical background came from the MFA, the time with MFA that you kind of had to learn those things? Or sure. is that from when you were at um, the Fashion Institute? No, definitely from MFA. We were doing, when we were doing fashion shows, um, you know, I knew nothing about lighting, staging and sound. So it was just kind of what I picked up. Yeah. And then a lot of the vendors, that I used at MFA were also the seventh on six CFTA vendors. So they kind of helped me push over to that um, and recommended me for that position as well. That was smart to work with them with MFA because they already have an understanding of fashion events, how to light the clothing to get the best photo. Exactly. Uh, because and MFA, MFA ex it was around way before seventh on six was. Wow. Yeah. Okay, so they're telling them how to do it so that you can get those photos. Again, it wasn't digital. You had to get the shot as it's coming down or um, what have you. So yeah, you got to get that lighting right. It's really important. Very important. Even wow. back, back then, even more so than now. Yeah. Well, I mean, we can always fix it, but now there's so much, I think, digital that you can't go back and fix every single thing. There's too much to fix. So now it's almost like you have to go back to, you got to get it the first time. It's a lot I have of so content. I need to post. Mm -hmm. exactly. There's a lot of content. Yeah. Okay. So in 2002, IMG hired you full time um, and immediately charged you with launching Fashion Week in both LA and then later Miami Swim. Uh, what were your biggest hurdles in LA and then Miami? Well, I mean, doing anything remotely when your your home base is in a different state is um, is difficult. We, I worked very hard in both on both of those events to hire locally, mm -hmm. um, which was a challenge because there isn't, you know, in New York we have a fashion centrals, we have fashion show producers and fashion show lighting and fashion show scenery people and DJs that only do fashion show music. And when you leave here, or, you know, if you leave New York, um, there isn't that circle of people. So, you know, there was that challenge when, when we were in LA of using, really using um, people that worked in, in, in uh, the movies and theater uh -huh. and that type of thing. So there's a little bit of a learning curve. Uh, we did. It is, it's close, but it is different, right? Between it, it's you, you, you make it work. That's what we do in fashion. Is 
Um, you know, everything's done a little differently when you, we don't have to worry about sound and things like that on a movie set, like you do in fashion, when you have 25 girls backstage yelling and screaming and getting ready, um, you don't have those issues in movies. So the scenery is made differently and the sound is made differently. So, you know, it, we ended up bringing a few people in just to consult and, and, and hired as much local as we could mm -hmm. in both right. scenarios. Uh, Miami, we ended up probably in the very end bringing people down from New York, but trying to hire as much local mm -hmm. as we possibly could. The biggest challenge there was the heat because yes. that event was in July <clears throat> and Miami is very hot in July and it has a tendency to rain very hard every single afternoon. Right. But it was a really fun event. And of course you don't have your, you don't have your infrastructure of your office down the street. You don't have all your staff there because you can't afford to bring everyone in a small budget for a small event. So it, 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 it becomes more difficult, but it was a really fun event. And, yeah. um, you know, swimwear, easy swim, you know, like of doing a fashion show with swimwear. There's no, there's not as many fittings. There's not as many alterations. It's everyone's in a good mood. The cocktails are flowing, you know. <laughs> it is definitely a different scene. I did have the chance to work down there. I do remember a lot of double stick tape um, and adjusting for the men. Um, <laughs> but at the same time, one of the things that's going on down there is the um this the swim convention mm -hmm. and did they work with you guys on that the swim convention were you guys so the, part of them or the reason we started that event when i was at img was because the swimwear convention was in miami in july every year mm. it was the largest um swim convention in the whole world actually and i oh. believe it still is um and we kind of they weren't doing more the marketing side uh, there was a lot of press down there because they have to cover the market anyway. So we wanted to bring a little bit more, you know, marketing and fun to the group. So we didn't really work in conjunction with them. We did the shows. Um, we, we, we of course did the shows after the convention was over at five o'clock because we don't want to pull people off the selling floor. Right. Um, because that's the reason they're there is to sell bathing suits. Yeah. And, but it, you know, it was a fun event. Um, you know, and it was, it was during the 2008 recession and that was the only sector of, of um, fashion that was actually going up. Like I think sales were up like 12 to 15% because people could, were still buying swimsuits, but they weren't buying luxury goods. So it was this very successful event and yeah. fun. Yeah, I remember it, it had we a better feel than New York. Um, but also, I think the people that you had coming were more um, on the business side than, like, let's say the designer or like with the clothes, with the um, swimwear and the cover-ups. There was a little bit of a learning curve. They didn't seem to know as much about having a fashion show. Well, the thing, and this was a learning curve for me because it wasn't, a, a, you know, at the time, you know, I knew Michael Kors and I knew Donna Karen and I knew all those people, but what I didn't realize when I got into swimwear and we started this event that they have nothing to do with the budgets when it comes to promoting swimwear because they're all licensing deals. Oh. So you're dealing with a licensing um, company that may make, you know, four different brands 
and they're not used to marketing or their marketing is the sales part of it where they're getting a big you know suite at the Delano and spending tens of thousands of dollars on entertaining buyers and press and things like that. So it's just a different mindset. And that took a couple of years to actually, for them to understand what we brought to the table or what fashion shows brought to the table and being able to service it out to the newspapers, the photos and that type of thing. Yeah. It always takes a little bit for the return on investment to show up. Um, For sure. Yeah. And they were smaller events, you know, or, you know, we had, you know, we had a, a venue that held 150 and I think the largest was 350 and you're not, you're not getting the quantity of press that you get in New York where you might get six people from Vogue, you know, down there, they might have one stringer and then, you know, you know, one person from L that had, you know, so, and a lo- we did get a lot of local press, um, newspapers, Miami Herald, that type of thing. So. Oh. Well, continuing on in 2009, you became the executive producer of New York Fashion Week for IMG. Mm-hmm. And they tasked you with leading Fashion Week from Bryant Park to Lincoln Center. And I do not envy you on that. Um, it, it was, we all felt it. It was a bit of a difficult time. It was not an easy transition, but it had to happen because Bryant Park was no longer available to New York Fashion Week. Can you tell me what what things, what were the things that changed for Fashion Week with that move from Bryant Park to Lincoln Center? Well, I mean, I think, you know, everyone's still waxing poetic about Bryant Park and, you know, fashion was dead after that and whatever. It, that, I, <laughs> give me a break. You know, fashion is, it's been changing ever since then. We unfortunately couldn't do it there anymore because that's a public park. And it's a very, very popular public park, thanks to Fashion Week mm-hmm. and, and making it the park it is today. And, um, you know, so moving it uptown was, you know, we're no longer on the corner of 42nd and 6th. Mm-hmm. You know, it was it, no longer were you getting people walking down the street from 42nd Street and go, oh my God, it's Fashion Week, let me take a picture. It wasn't that sex in the city moment that everyone expected. But moving it uptown, we had a, a much bigger footprint, a much more elevated um, complex, but we weren't on the street and we needed to, we fit into Lincoln Center, which I'm still proud of. It was a beautiful space. It fit into one of the most iconic places in New York City. Mm-hmm. And um you know, they, they were kind of welcoming to us. You know, there was a lot of, a lot of hurdles. It was very expensive. It's a little bit off the beaten path. Mm-hmm. You know, we had, we worked with NYCHA, the New York Housing Authority, because they're on the other side of Lincoln Center, which no one realizes. But um, we worked, well, we worked well together in hiring and, you know, volunteers and, and mentoring and that type of thing. But um, it was, you know, and, and it, everyone loved it. No matter what they say now, they loved it. They walked in and it was like being in a cathedral. It was a beautiful space. The, the, the actual runway spaces were gorgeous. We had graduated to state-of-the-art LED technology and we had all the bells and whistles and you could just scan your phone to get in the door. Yep. And they loved all that, but you know how people are, you know, 
when the rose start, you know, stops blooming, they, they, you know, everything is, you know, they, they start thinking, coming up with problems. So, you know, we listened to it. It was a great space, but again, it was a park. Um, I left IMG before, you know, that, before they left Lincoln Center, but um, it was a beautiful space. It was very difficult to, to move that event after 10 years or however many years it had been, 15 years, I don't even know. Um, you know, there was union issues, there was NYCHA issues, they were putting in the, um, the new water main that they started in upstate New York in 1976. It hit Lincoln Center, the, the, the season we moved there. Ah. So 40 years, right? So, you know, there was a lot of um, coordination with a lot of different people that no one knew about. So, but it was, it was an accomplishment. Wow. I, that, that's amazing. And I knew that there was a lot of work and, you know, if we saw you, would be like, well, don't, you know, don't bother her. She's busy. <laughs> that was an understatement of the year. Um, with COVID-19, the fashion industry has a rare opportunity to take a moment and think about how we can make changes within the fashion industry. Mm-hmm. Um, this wouldn't be the first time that Fashion Week is making significant changes. 1998 was the year that you started working New York Fashion Week with the Council of Fashion Designers of America mm-hmm. um, in Bryant Park. And that was the last year that Fashion Week was held in October and April. Starting in 1999, the US fashion calendar changed to September and February. Why was that change made to the fashion calendar? And do you think that change is still relevant today? Well, there's twofold on that. Yes, it was changed in 99 to back to February and September because the American designers were being accused of uh, plagiarizing or copying the European collections. So they wanted to go first in the fashion scene. Uh, You know, at the time, I think it was the right decision that, you know, where, you know, when we're talking, it was, you know, the Calvin Kleins and the Donna Karens and the Oscars and the Carolina Herreras of the world. That was the heyday for that that type of clothing and the Ralph Ricci's and the high-end, you know, more high-end designer. Um, We didn't have digital media then either still you know, as we ramp up and now it's um, 98, 2008, 20 years later, 22 years later, we have social media now, you know, it's, if we're first and we have everyone in the front row and they're taking pictures and, and um, my collection that's not even going to be in the stores till February has been all over social media, all through the fall and into the spring. Hmm. We're, it's cannibalization. We're, we're sick of it before we even see it in a store. Right, right. And then we're delivering it too early. So if we deliver it too early, you can't get a bathing suit in July because it's been on sale in March. Mm-hmm. And you know, so we're discounting, discounting, discounting. And then you can't get what you want when you need it. So yeah. I don't think it's as relevant anymore. And I also don't think we have the same types of designers that are gonna be accused of knocking things off. Yeah, and it also kind of fed into, I know that I'm probably one of the people that goes and shops only when it's on sale 
because we expect it to go on sale. So why would you buy it full price? Also, it's, it's just, it's just the timing I don't think makes sense anymore and it's feeding into fast fashion. Do you think that's true? Well, absolutely. I think, well, first of all, no one buys anything full price anymore. I mean, half the things go on sale before they even hit the, you know, the wow. floor, you know, they have to put in 20% off because no one's going to buy it if they think it's, even if it's a, a mental thing, they're mm -hmm. not going to pay full time for a full price. Right. But, you know, I think in 2020 and everything we're going through in this pandemic and sustainability and how we've gone through the last five months and we've seen how much the earth has healed from just slowing down. Yeah. I mean, whether it's the dolphins in Venice or the air above China or the air in LA or the air in New York or anywhere. Um, that just slowing down and being a little bit more thoughtful about what we're doing and what we're doing to the planet is, um, it's a no brainer. So yeah. Slow down this fast fashion. And do you really need six pairs of black pants or do you really need one that's going to be a really good pair that's right. going to say that you're going to have for the next five to 10 years? Yeah. Especially well, because we're not losing the house as much. <laughs> Well, hopefully that'll change. But along the lines, thinking of sustainability, um, many in the industry are, are taking this moment to discuss sustainability and streamlining processes. Um, what about fashion shows? Do you see a way to make fashion shows more sustainable? Well, I think that's when we get into what's happening next. So how are we gonna make this pivot to what's gonna be happening in 2021 and beyond? is I don't think we're going to be flying all over the place um, to go to fashion shows. Right. So, how, but I don't think people are giving up. No one is going to give up a fashion show. The designers are even upset about the fact that they can't show in September because that's their baby. It's they're presenting to the world. And then how do we make that a hybrid of digital versus in person? So, mm -hmm that Mary in Boulder can watch my show if she's not here. Right. But I still have my high-end clients. I still have the New York press and so on and so forth. So I think there's going to be, it's going to have to be some sort of pivot. Uh, or you have a stringer in LA or, or um, not LA, Paris or Milan or London, because we can't be flying all over the world for this anymore. So you're going to have um, fewer people. Are you going to have fewer photographers? Is that what you're saying? Or I think it's ten. It's all all of it. But um, you know, I, I know you and I have talked about. I we did. Um, I worked on the Moschino show mm -hmm. in December, which was a resort show. They had 150 people, all had a seat, and they had three photographers, and that was it. That's amazing. And they, but that's a good way to control your content as well. You know, what's going out there, you know, um, who, you know, what those pictures are, what they look like, making sure that the best of the best of the best. Mm -hmm. And, um, that's all you really need. If yeah. They're controlling. controlling how you see that brand and what pictures go out. Exactly. And there was an embargo on all social media and all that. Of course, it was in the subway, so you can, didn't get any, uh, there was no cell service anyway. But 
Um, yeah, that was it. And the same thing, we did the Dolce & Gabbana store opening. There was two photographers. They control all the content that comes out of those events. And that's a good way to look at it. Yeah, and that is, that is uh, fewer people flying around and uh, a little bit to some degree, I might miss the pits because they were so very exciting, <laughs> but. They were challenging. But challenging. As mentioned in your bio, you are the executive producer of New York Fashion Week at Pier 59 Studios. Mm -hmm. What is happening for New York Fashion Week this September? Question of the day. Question of the day. Um, I think it's the question of the last couple of months. Yeah. I mean, what it, I, I mean, I can tell you what's happening from my perspective um, and the people that I've talked to. You know, I think everyone, a lot of just like I said before, designers are sad. They're not doing shows. They want to do shows. Every, I mean, I want to do shows. That's what I do for a living. But um, it's kind of socially irresponsible right now, like mm -hmm. to bring people, it, and it's illegal. You can't bring more than 10 people together or whatever it is this week. You know, there's going to be a lot of um, people doing in, in their showroom showings with smaller groups or one-on-ones like they used to. I think um, we're not doing any shows at Pier 59. Um, we are doing some digital thing for design, di digital uh, content for designers. Mm -hmm. So whether that is um, computer generated backgrounds with real models and 360s and um, presentations that are digitally presented. Yeah for September. And I think the really good thing about that is they walk away with content to use for, for the press, for the buyers, for Instagram, for um, the consumer. So it can be, it can be, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, skinned for mm -hmm. different parts of the industry and released at different times. Right. So that you're not oversaturating. There's not too much information out there. So sell it first. Know what the buyers bought so that you can promote what they've bought. Right. To the consumer. And um, I think we're just doing things a little bit backward, backwards now. Backwards, yeah. <laughs> Don't promote it to the consumer before you've even sold it to a store. Right. Yeah, that is, that is interesting when you put it that way. Um, that we're doing it. And so I guess we're in for quite a change moving forward. And uh, I, I look forward to talking to you again, I hope, about everything that's happening and seeing what happens in September. I think it's gonna be, you know, this is nothing that wasn't happening pre-COVID. This, but it kind of just pushed it over the edge. And I think that's gonna be the silver lining in all of it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I hope to see you sooner than later. In person. In person. Right? Thank you so much for coming on. <laughs> All right. Thank you. All right. Thanks. Bye. Bye. And thank all of you for attending this week's Behind Fashion series with my guest, Christina Nault, the consultant and executive producer of New York Fashion Week at Pier 59 Studios. You can find her on Facebook, Christina Nault. Nault is N-E-A-U-L-T. Facebook, uh, is Christina Nault, Twitter at Christina Nault, Instagram CDN32. Next week, I will go behind fashion with sound designer, audio engineer, music producer, and composer at Rocky Mountain Recorders, Tyler Hayden. See you next Wednesday, August 12th. 
10 a.m. Mountain Time, noon on the East Coast, 9 a.m. on the West Coast, and 5 p.m. British Summertime. All the best to you and yours.